Welcome to the Startup of the Year podcast, where each episode we showcase exciting new companies from around the world. This podcast is produced by Established, creators of the Startup of the Year program. Established is focused on helping organizations with their innovation, startup, and communication strategies. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Startup of the Year podcast. I'm Frank Gruber, the co-founder and co-CEO of Established, as well as the co-founder of Established Ventures, the team behind the Startup of the Year community and this very podcast. We appreciate you being here and listening in and being part of this growing community. In this episode, we're talking to Jason Barsima. He's the co-founder and president of Halo Investing. Halo is, a, is the first, actually, multi-issuer technology platform for protective investment solutions. Halo was founded in 2015 with a mission of providing access to impactful investment opportunities previously unavailable for most investors. Through Halo's platform, investors and advisors can access easily these structured notes, um, market-linked CDs, and buffered ETFs, as well as annuities. And look at the whole, you know, whole suite of tools to analyze, customize, and execute, um, as well as maintain the most suitable protective investment products for their portfolios. Halo is changing the world of investing by democratizing the prote- uh, protective investment marketplace through transparency and efficiency with the help of technology. I love it. I really do. I'm super excited to talk to Jason here today. But before we jump into the interview, I have three things startup of the year related that I want to share. And then one piece of advice from a team member, it's about validation when it comes to your startup. So let's get started. First off, I wanted to talk about our application. 2020 Startup of the Year application is open. 2021 application is open. Uh, 2020 was a, <laughs> we'll put that in the rear view. But 2021's application is open. And uh, if you're a startup and your founding date is between 2015 and 2021, you've raised less than $5 million in funding and have a functional prototype beyond just the idea. So you've got something working and you can show it to us or, or show it uh, online or something. We'd love to see it uh, and get that, get that application in. Uh, you'll be a part of a growing, amazing community of entrepreneurs and startups. You just go to apply by going to SOTY.link forward slash apply. Again, it's SOTY for startup of the year dot link forward slash apply. You'll come to our application. It's super simple to fill out. We've got you know, a lot of applications already in, but we'd love to see yours as well. The top 100 stars from the, this year's application pool will be uh, invited out to be a part of an additional opportunity to connect, showcase, and potentially take home the title of Startup of the Year at our annual summit. During, you know, pre-COVID, we used to travel from place to place doing this summit in different locations, and we're hopeful that we might be able to bring that back again here in 2021. So we're looking forward to the fall and trying to figure out our, our logistics for what that's going to look like. Um, so stay tuned for that. But in the meantime, get your application in, SOTY.link forward slash apply. We'd love to take a look at what you're up to. All right, so that's update number one. Update number two uh, is actually from a, a portfolio company as well as an alumni of the start of the year, uh, as well as a partner now. And that company is Finmark. Finmark is a financial planning software for startups for revenue forecasting, cash projections, and runway all super critical to starting and running a business. You need to keep an eye on what that cash flow looks like because cash and, and the, the capital you have is your oxygen for survival. So take a look at this product if you haven't already. Uh, it's, it's critical for your business. Uh, it's one that, you know, of the few products that we believe in and actually 
wanted to share with our members of our community as well as our listeners. So please check out Finmark and you can sign up for a 30-day free trial on us by just going to est.us forward slash Finmark. Again, it's est.us forward slash Finmark. It will help make your life easier. I guarantee it. So check that out and uh, you should be off to the races. All right. Lastly, if you're listening to this podcast, you may already be a part of our community, but if not, I'd like to invite you. Go to est.us forward slash join and you can sign up. It'll give you access to support, expert advice, and resources that you need to um, elevate your startup. Um, so get going, get right away. Go to est.us forward slash join, be a part of it. We'd love to, to have you be a, become a part of it and be a part of some of the things we do out throughout the year. Not just the Startup of the Year program, but, but a number of other things as well. So look forward to seeing you soon and, um, you know, obviously see you online, I guess. Um, all right. So, and finally, that last piece that I mentioned was uh, that piece of advice from our team member, Rich Malloy. He's a VP of engagement at Established as well as part of Established Ventures. Uh, we've got some tips on validation for startup founders in a segment we call the VC Minute. Hi, this is Rich Malloy with Established Ventures bringing you the VC Minute. Quick advice to help startup founders fundraise better. Let's talk about venture capital and validation. Lack of venture investment does not invalidate your business. The purpose of a business is to sell goods or services. The purpose is to create something of value that people or companies will give you money for. The purpose of venture capital is to pour rocket fuel into your business to accelerate your growth. That rocket fuel may cause your business to explode in the explode into a million little pieces and leave nothing behind but a smoldering hole in the ground, the sense of the word explode. That smoldering hole in the ground that contains the ruins of your startup hopes and dreams is an accepted outcome of the venture capital business model. Venture capital is a very specific financial instrument. It just so happens to be the one that the media is absolutely obsessed with and covers extensively. Generally speaking, that rocket fuel pairs well with SaaS and other hyper-scalable business models. But not all, and not always. So bringing it back around, venture capital does not necessarily validate your business. Lack of venture capital absolutely does not invalidate your business. If and when you choose to take venture capital, remember, it's just fuel. It has to be the right fuel at the right time for the right machine. And even then, you still have to build a business that serves its customers. That's all for the VC Minute. Back to you, Frank. Thanks, Rich. Great info for startups considering think of, when they're starting to think about their validation and validating their concepts. Um, it's not just about the money you raise. So thank you for sharing that and couldn't agree with you more. All right, now let's listen into our interview with Jason Barsima from Halo Investing. Welcome, Jason. Thanks so much for joining us. I uh, just wanted to kind of dive in for our listeners so they get to know a little bit more about what you're up to. Can you explain what Halo is all about uh, kind of in, in layman terms? Yeah, thanks, Frank. And first and foremost, thank you for having me on the podcast. And uh, and I personally really enjoy, um, you know, tuning in every every week. And, uh, you know, to answer your question specifically about Halo is that, you know, we're a financial technology company that's really centered around disrupting and democratizing the $3 trillion industry of structured notes. And so, you know, what is a structured note? I always joke that it's the biggest market no one's ever heard of. And at the end of the day, think of structured notes as insurance around your investment. And so structured notes offer investors a level of downside investment protection against market declines. 
while still allowing them to participate in, in the upside of the market. So, you know, clearly uh, very important products right now, uh, given the capital markets, uh, stock markets being at all time highs and bond yields at all time lows, structured products kind of fit that, you know, um, risk gap between stocks and bonds, if you will. And, and so what my company does is that I connect financial advisors across five different continents to 30 of the world's largest banks who issue structured notes. And, uh, and it's not only about the connectivity, but our platform gives education, it gives pre-trade analytics, it gives click to trade execution and the full life cycle management for the very first time. So we remove a lot of the, uh, the barriers to, uh, to entry in, into, into the market. So you know, traditionally, it's been a very high net worth product only available to the high net worth investors typically $3 million investment sizes. And our technology has been able to break these down into $1,000 investment sizes. So everyone has protective investing. Can you actually, so that helps a lot because I, I don't know if everyone knows exactly everything like you just said about notes and explains that there was an opportunity there. So can you kind of share us with us a little bit more about um, how you got into that, how you saw that idea and turn that into a, a startup? Yeah, you know, at the end of the day, um, you know, I'll, I'll answer the question in, in two ways. One is more about, you know, experience and how I got into the market. But number two was it was really about solving a, a really big problem. And so focusing on the first, you know, my, I, I spent my career at Credit Suisse, um, you know, on the private banking side. So I, I joined the firm as an analyst right out of college, worked my way up to make partner on one of the largest private banking teams at the firm. Uh, within about four and a half years. And I managed portfolios for ultra high net worth individuals and institutions while I was at Credit Suisse. And, and structured notes were a very important part of my asset allocation. So about 20% of my allocations, uh, you know, on average were, were allocated and dedicated to structured notes. And again, as I mentioned before, structured notes were one of the most elegant solutions that I've ever worked with, uh, probably one of the most inefficient and practice that I've ever seen in my life. And they were elegant because they helped protect my clients from you know, the downdrafts of the market and, and the body blows of volatility that the stock market can give you, you know, on any given day. And so my clients love it because they helped protect their investments. Um, but you know, the problems that, that the product had was, was really you know, spanned across five, five major problems, if you will. Number one is the way these things were packaged and, and, and traded and assembled were like how cars were assembled before Henry Ford's assembly line. They were super time intensive, cost intensive, human intensive. And as a result, the fees embedded within the product were really, really high. Um, you know, it is a structured note, so it is a package of a bond and an option at the end of the day, but there wasn't great transparency with the product. The banks would never kind of break down where the fees are and how these products really worked, which kind of rubbed me the wrong way because I'm all about transparency. And I think all of us as individuals, we kind of want to know what we're owning and where those fees are. And so the transparency wasn't great. There was no liquidity with the product. And just buying and managing the product was like working with a travel agent before orbits. You know, you had to call a desk and they had to call the banks and they had to get an indicative price. And, and then they'd have to relay that back to the desk, back to the advisor, back to the client, just to get a, a quote, you know, just like as you called a broker and asked, Hey, where's Apple trading? He would be able to tell you instantly, you know, he or right. she would be able to tell you instantly. With structured notes, it would take literally four hours just to get a quote. And then if you wanted to execute, it would take about two days and if you wanted to trade that, it would cost you about $3 million. And so that kind of gets to the bigger problem that I wanted to solve was not just disrupting this asset class and solving a lot of the problems that I just mentioned of fees, liquidity, and transparency. It was really about democratizing the product. It's the last bastion of capital markets that have never been democratized. 
And when you look at ultimately the problem that we're solving, which is, you know, we're all entrepreneurs here and, and yeah, you could have a cool idea, but what's, what's really the impact that you're creating for us? I saw that the state of people's savings and retirement is the largest epidemic this world faces. You know, the average retirement savings is $63,000 in America. And I don't know about you, but I don't know how you can retire with $63,000. And most people who are saving for retirement, they have access to stocks, they have access to bonds, and they have access to nothing in between. We need that in-between product. And that was really where I wanted to start Halo to democratize this product and solve that retail and that savings you know, problem. It can't solve all the problems, but it sure as heck can solve a lot of them. And that was really the genesis and the foundation was, was ultimately creating impact in the world and solving a really big problem. All right, that's great. And I guess talking back through that that ex example you mentioned earlier, like if I wanted to buy Apple with your through your service, what would that look like? Like for me now, you mentioned what it used to be look like or look like or how it, how somebody might um, you know take a lot of time, multiple days to kind of make that happen. What would it look like with you now? Yeah, I mean, similar to how we all used to work with stockbrokers in the '80s, right, where you'd call your stockbroker to buy Apple or buy a stock. And then, you know, we move to online platforms like an E-Trade. Think of Halo kind of like an E-Trade for structured notes. So instead of having to call a broker and getting a price, a financial advisor can go directly online on our platform and they can literally get pricing back instantly. And that's because my technology connects these bank issuers of these products directly to the advisor without any middlemen in between, right? So you get pricing back literally instantly with our technology. You can click and trade. So instead of taking days to execute, you can literally click and trade and, and you can execute in, in less than five minutes on the platform. And instead of costing $3 million, as I mentioned, it now costs a thousand bucks. And this is all through technology, right? And that's what technology has democratized you know, pretty much every aspect of our lives. And, and these structured notes was always kind of, a, like I said, out of reach for 99.9% of .9 investors. Ironically, the people who need these products the most are the retail and the mass affluent because they're saving for retirement. Not my clients at Credit Suisse who are saving for three, four generations out. They can withstand volatility. Folks like us, you know, we're just trying to save for our retirement portfolio. So we need that comfort of a cushion on the downside. So when the COVID crisis hits, we don't look at our portfolio and say, golly, we're down 40% in a month and a half, right? Which is scary for all of us. Our products help protect against you know, those, again, those declines in the market and, and those black swan events. Um, and so that's really the, the power of creating a two-sided marketplace. Think of it almost like an Amazon for structured notes. And if you make it easy, then people will buy. And I think that's what's pretty neat about our platform is that, yeah, it's a $3 trillion market globally. So it's a huge market, but 50% of our customers have never bought a structured note before. So I think it's really the power of the education, the analytics, and then the flexibility and the scale of the technology that just makes this a lot more palatable and easy, you know, to understand and, and ultimately buy. Well, that makes sense. And I guess the other, my follow-up to that would be just for those that are listening, could anybody jump in and do this for your, for your platform now? Or do, is there any specific requirements to kind of buy some of those notes? Yeah, so for us uh, you know, today, we're, we're B2B. So we serve you know, independent financial advisors and, and broker dealers and banks literally across five continents. So our headquarters is in Chicago, but we also have an office in Zurich. We have an office in Singapore and we're in the process of opening up an office in Abu Dhabi you know, as we speak. But today we serve financial advisors because you know, it is a new product for most people, especially in America. And so we wanted to make sure for our democratization is bring it down to the financial advisors who might work with the firefighter or the teacher or the police officer. So 
at least there's a human involved who can help educate the end client of how to use these products and where they go in the portfolio. You know, but, but what's an interesting statistic about America in, in particular is that 52% of Americans use a financial advisor, but 48% don't. And arguably those 48% who are the folks who use a Robinhood or an E-Trade, they need protection, you know, just as much as anybody, right? Because they don't have a financial advisor to help them. And that's really the next phase of, of Halo is bringing this down so the three of us can open up accounts directly with Halo, you know, and be able to trade individually if we prefer not to work with a financial advisor. So today we're B2B, but in the not so distant future will be, you know, retail as well, serving both markets. That was going to be my follow-up question is when does it get to that point when we were actually able to do it ourselves, which sounds like it's just an educational hurdle right now. It's, it's right around the corner. And, and when you look at kind of the educational hurdle, I mean, and, and I go and I point back to even Robinhood where you can go on Robinhood and you can buy pretty complex option strategies. So, you know, the retail investor, we're not stupid, right? You know, I'm a professional investor, but I also manage my own money. I'm not stupid. I, I know how to manage money. I know how to trade options. Um, and many Americans and many people around the world, you know, uh, you know, know how to trade options as well. And so for us, it's just about breaking these things down into something that we can all digest and understand. And I think that that's the power of technology, right? You know, as you're just looking at my iPhone, what's more complex than an iPhone? Yet, you know, my 94 your old grandmother can text me every day that she loves me uh, because Apple makes it really simple to use something so complex. And that's really what our technology does is that we break something that's complex down to the bones where all of us can understand. We don't need all the you know, financial jargon to make us all feel smart and look smart. We wanna break it down. So again, we all understand how these products work and the importance of having you know, kind of that investment protection or that halo, as I call it, around your investment. I like that. Now I see where the name comes from. <laughs> well, we also down. like video games. So there is a little <laughs> oh, bit of, you, uh, you know, uh, you know, as, uh, as you could see, and, and hopefully Microsoft isn't viewing this, but you know, it's <laughs> the master chief character from, from Halo, but yeah, no, I mean, on a serious note, Halo is around putting a halo or that protection around your investment, around your portfolio. And what's really interesting. And the last thing I'll say about that is that, you know, really the foundation, the genesis of, of not just wanting to create a, an impact in the world as even if you come to our headquarters, you'll see written on our wall, impact before profits so is the first thing that my co-founder and I wrote, even before our business plan is what did we want to stand for? Mm -hmm. It was about creating a positive impact in the world before we worry about profits because, and this is my advice to any entrepreneur out there, as I know this is an entrepreneurial podcast, but you know, if you, if you solve for trying to create an impact, right, the profits ultimately come because people value your service. If you try to solve for profits first, then usually, and then, oh, then I'll do something that's good for the world. It usually doesn't work out that way. I mean, you can look at Google where they were trying to just democratize access to information, right? They weren't really, Google AdWords wasn't even invented yet, right? They just wanted to create a profound impact in the world. And look at Google today. That's, that's really, you know, woven in our, in our DNA here at Halo about creating that, that positive impact. But getting back to my earlier point is like, you know, all of us on, on the line here, right? And listening in, we have insurance on our homes. We have insurance on our cars. We, insurance, we have insurance on your dogs probably, right? But we don't have insurance on our portfolios. One of the most important assets that we own. And that never made any sense to me. And that's also very dangerous. We'd never drive a car without insurance. We should never invest without insurance. That's really interesting. You're right. I mean, I mean, there's a lot to unpack what you just said. So first off, the name is amazing. Like I think that I love it. And I love always to understand the backstory there. And then obviously you meant you kind of went into the impact and, and how you're how you're focused on impact first, which I think is is amazing as well. Like that's I, I think a lot of entrepreneurs are listening 
should follow that. I always believed in, in being passionate and pursuing that versus the money, right? First. And then, uh, you know, that, that third point as well. So I think um, my follow-up is going to really be about more about like where you're, uh, well, first of all, and also your 94 year old uh, grandmother texting you on your iPhone is pretty, that's, that's, that's priceless. I mean, that, 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 um, that she's, she's able to do that. So, um, but I wanted to jump in and learn more about your background and your team. Um, switching gears a little bit here, just to kind of find out, you know, you're an entrepreneur, how long, you know, how did you find your co-founder? How did you get this going? Um, is this your first kind of rodeo, so to speak, or have you guys been doing this for a while and just kind of learn more about the background of the team and then where you guys want to take this? It's a, it's a great question, especially the first part about, you know, identifying a co-founder and, and the team is I think, you know, and, and again, as we can all relate to as entrepreneurs, you know, on the line and listening in is, you know, a great idea is about 10% of the business, right? Execution is the other 90%. We all have good ideas. It's about following through and executing and, and neither, you know, none of us as individuals can, can execute on our own. It takes a great team. And so, you know, kind of getting back to your original question, you know, my background was in private banking. So this is my first foray into entrepreneurship, but I come from an entrepreneurial family. I, I grew up in Silicon Valley. You know, my dad was a, was a pretty prominent entrepreneur and, and ran some pretty large technology companies uh, within Silicon Valley and, and took them public. And then he was an early uh, venture partner at a big VC there called Benchmark Capital. Um, That's and, a big one. Uh, yeah, it's, it's a big one. And so, you know, I, I was kind of raised at a young age to understand entrepreneurship and, and really how to build and grow and scale a company. Um, and then, of course, through my practice at Credit Suisse, I covered a lot of entrepreneurs and not a lot of great, not just clients and friends, but really my clients were mentors and advisors and really helped kind of give me the nudge into saying, hey, you, you have a great idea. You want to create an impact and that was, again, getting back to the genesis of, of what I wanted to do is almost like an epiphany um, of just I kept on seeing time after time again, the struggles of retail investors, meaning the brothers and the cousins of my clients who might not have met my portfolio minimums, but struggled with this retirement issue. And so but yet I'm not a technologist. Right. So getting to your point about identifying your co-founder. For me, it was all about luck and serendipity. Um, you know, I was supposed to uh, I was supposed to uh, attend a non for profit event, and uh, and you know, I, I had something that came up, and but at the you know that that morning, but something told me that I had to be at this event. Honest to God, and and so I went to this event. As most private bankers out there, if anyone if anyone's listening, you know, we go to a lot of non for profit events, and so missing one isn't going to be you know the end all or the end of the world. And so, but at this non-for-profit event, I, I met my co-founder, Bijou Kulathakal, and, and Bijou um, was an excellent co-founder because he really complemented my skill sets, meaning, you know, where I, where I had deficiencies in my skill sets, Bijou, you know, had a surplus, uh, if you will. And so Bijou is an options quant by trade, so understood capital markets, which is very important in our business. But more importantly, he's one of the co-founders of Redbox, the movie rental kiosk, and he did all the technology for Redbox. So he really brings the technology aspect. I bring the capital markets and the portfolio aspect. And while we have two very different skill sets, we are very different, um, you know, in, in regards to our skill sets. That's, I think, our most powerful weapon because we are aligned in the values and the impact that we want to stand for. Yet we complement each other because, you know, again, he's got the technology aspect. I have the capital markets and the portfolio management aspect. And it really started from there of coming together with two like-minded individuals that wanted to solve the same really large problem throughout the world, which is, you know, the state of, you know, investor savings and in retirement. 
And, and so we, we, we started the company, we met in 2014, um, you know, fall of 2014. I literally flipped the keys to my partnership back to the firm in May of 2015. And he left his current gig at OCA and we started Halo in May of 2015, launched our beta in the fall of 2016. Um, you know, and at the time we I think we just had three or four people working at the company and we self-funded it. Uh, we went out and raised a small round of capital and, and, and then ultimately kind of launched the platform into the wild in uh, April, May of 2017. And so fast forward four years, you know, now we operate across, you know, five continents. We have about 120 employees. Uh, we just raised uh, extremely large uh, series C round. It's one of the largest rounds in Chicago history, which is really exciting. And, and I think as any entrepreneur, we can all relate, like, how did you really get here? I have no clue, right? It was just about the little steps that ultimately got us there. And it's about fighting and it's about digging. And, and as we talked before, we started recording, you know, with every company and every entrepreneurial endeavor, there's ups and there's downs and you just want more ups than downs. And, and anything that is, is worth solving is very difficult, right? And so that's why I always talk to entrepreneurs is you have to have that fortitude and believe when most people won't, because if everyone believes in what you're doing, then it's probably not worth doing, in my humble opinion. And then it's just building a really good team. And it's about taking, we're at a very interesting time in our company because we went from two guys and a dog of Bijou and I not that long ago to now employees all over the world. And we're doubling, we quadrupled our headcount during COVID. We're going to triple our headcount again this year. And now it's a different management approach. You know, it's not doing everything ourselves. It's about delegating and leading. Um, you know, as Jack Welch always said from General Electric, you know, his job was being the world's most expensive recruiter. And that's really kind of the interesting dynamic and transformation of Bijunaz leadership is now becoming more into coaches and leaders and recruiters and bringing in the right talent to take this company to the next level. That's really interesting. Yeah, it, you know, from from two guys and a dog to what, 120 employees all around the country, around the world, actually, that's quite a quick change. And and I think um, it does take take that mindset shift. So I'm glad to hear that you're, you're making that shift and, and quoting Jack Welch as well, which is awesome. Um, yeah. But wanted to wanted to talk about the, the, a couple of things. You mentioned the roller coaster for startups. What was what has it been like for you guys? Because you started in fourteen, and you know what has it been like for you guys to take that roller coaster ride. And how did you know that it was there was a any dip? There was going to be a, an upward swing as well. Is one I'd love to hear like entrepreneurial kind of mindset, I guess. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that, uh, you know, as my dad uh, always used to teach me, right, do you do you have a solution that's looking for a problem or do you have a problem that needs a solution, right? And and if it's the latter, then then you have a pretty good company and a pretty good concept. And so for us is we we started with the problem and backed into, backed into the solution, which is, you know, now Halo. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, when you look at the roller coaster ride, I mean, ours is, was particularly challenging at the beginning because, you know, we are disrupting a really large market that's dominated by the world's largest banks. You know, it's not easy to go in and, and try to disrupt yet partner right with a jp morgan or a morgan stanley or a bank of america or a wells fargo you're talking about the world's most powerful banks and they're both our suppliers because they supply the product yet they're also the incumbent so it's a very interesting uh tightrope i guess to walk and so for us we wanted to take a really targeted approach and 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 we wanted to be able to benefit the market as a whole 
And so that's why we started with our platform. We want to start very focused. And I think that that's the problem with entrepreneurs is it's kind of the shiny penny approach where everything seems like a really good idea. All of your customers want you to be able to tweak and tailor to their specific needs. And, you know, you look back three years and go say, gosh, why didn't I scale or why didn't I grow? Well, because you've got 50 different instances of your platform because you're just trying to be everything to everybody. And that's not really the right approach. Right. And so the approach that we took is have a very narrow view, solve that view, just as Amazon did with books and then expand from there. Right. And, and so what we did was saying, okay, well, what is the market that banks aren't distributing and delivering these structured notes into? It's the independent financial advisor, the advisor at a Schwab or a Fidelity. Why aren't they distributing into it? Because it's a very fragmented market. And if there's no technology, right. And you have $3 million minimums, most independent financial advisors that are covering the firefighters and the teachers can't afford $3 million. Most of us can't, right? And so we said, hey, let's insert our technology and work with our banks as partners to bring them a market that they've never had access to before and ultimately grow the market. And that that bought us a lot of goodwill. And, and candidly, even a lot of the banks at the beginning were like, oh, I'm not really going to do that. So we actually went overseas and got two of the biggest issuers because structured notes are way bigger internationally than they are in America. And we got two of the biggest internet uh, issuers internationally, but not so big in America. And they actually had pretty decent technology for us to hook into. And so we brought them here to America because with independent financial advisors, they weren't biased towards owning a JP Morgan note or a Morgan Stanley note. They love the product. And as I used to educate our, our financial advisors at Credit Suisse, of always saying, always sell painkillers and not vitamins, right? And structured notes in this market, right, where you have the widest risk gap in history between stocks and bonds, it's a major painkiller right now. Mm-hmm. And so they're like, I love this product. I need this product. SockGen and BNP, which are two of you know, France's largest banks, very well uh, capitalized banks, very strong banks. They're like, great. They're great banks. Let's buy from them. And then all of a sudden, we started delivering more flow to these banks again than they've ever seen. And then everyone else kind of piled on. Right. And that was really the Amazon approach that we started with is you want to be always focused on the buy side. It sounds so fundamental, right? But a lot of people don't think about it. Focus on the buy side, which in our speak is focus on the customer. If you focus on getting the customer, the rest of your suppliers come. And that's, and that's what, uh, and that's what Amazon did. And once you build that ecosystem, which is what we did, and we provided value to the issuers for technology and distribution, we provided value to the advisors and technology and, and better execution and better experience. Once you have that ecosystem, it's a very formidable ecosystem. And then you can bolt on other products and other services and other features, but not until then. And that's the problem that a lot of entrepreneurs kind of lose sight on because it's so easy to kind of just say, I'm going to do everything for everybody. And and that never works out well. That makes a lot of sense. And you do see that quite a bit where you've got feature after feature added. Haven't quite hit that, uh, that right product yet. So I wanted to follow up there with your approach. It sounds like it was, it it served you well um, with going after those international companies and strategically kind of bring into the U S I assume that that, you know, put pressure on the U S banks to say, okay, well, if they're going to do it, with these other international companies, we got to jump in there too. Is that, is that what happened? Absolutely. And so, you know, once we started, you know, turning these international banks into serious players in America, they didn't want to miss out on the party. And so, and, and they're, and these American banks are, are very close friends and very close partners with us. And at the end of the day, right, is what my technology does. And this is the benefit of Amazon is consider me kind of Henry Ford's assembly line for structured notes, right? You know, as I used my car analogy earlier of saying how these things were, were manufactured before the assembly line, I'm the assembly line, right? So I reduce manufacturing costs by up to 60% for these banks. 
And so they're like, well, great. By utilizing technology, not only can I access all of the distribution that they're giving me, they're also going to increase my profit margins. They're going to be able to allow me to lower my investment minimums and allow me to offer better terms and transparency out to the street um, and out to the customer. And so again, you have to have a solution that benefits all parties. And so that's ultimately what, you know, I think creates a very formidable, formidable moat, right? Is that you either have a feature or you have a product, right? And so I see too many companies that are a feature, right? It's a cool feature and that's their company, but you need to really have a product and you need to really focus on the ecosystem of like, what is your moat? And our moat was saying, great. At the beginning, there wasn't much of a moat, right? It was the technology a little bit, but it was really the distribution that we, that we garnered. And then all of a sudden with time and scale and everything else, we were able to have our technology so interwoven and integrated, you know, ingrained into both the advisor and the issuer that it made it a very formidable moat. And so, you know, that's, that's where I just think from an entrepreneur's, uh, you know, aspect is focus on getting those key clients, right? Focus on starting small, focus on, you know, solving a real problem that people have today. Don't look for the problem, solve an actual problem that exists today. And then you have the credibility and you ultimately have the capital to go out and expand into new product lines. And, and that's where the market is valuing is these e-commerce platforms and, and ultimately interconnected platforms and two set of marketplaces like Halo or like an Amazon or like a Robinhood. What's Robinhood's moat, right? It's free stock trading. JP Morgan's had that since 19 or you know, 1999. I think they rolled out their free stock trading app, but yet no one really talks about it. It's Robinhood. And Robinhood's moat ultimately was going out and getting the consumer, having a great user experience and being able to lock you into their ecosystem, which now they have, right? And, and so yeah. I, I think in any product, that's what entrepreneurs really need to focus on. Yeah, and absolutely. And I think you can take Robinhood a step further. They were able to like capitalize quickly on that change and like being able to buy a fraction of stock, right? Like that wasn't something that was you're able to do years ago anyway, that I can remember. So they were able to kind of take that new marketing approach and apply it. So it's interesting, interesting to watch them grow. I wanted to ask, you, you mentioned funding and you were talking about capital uh, there. So I wanted to talk, you know, you, you've been very successful raising capital and a lot of our listeners are startup founders, um, some of which are in the FinTech space, um, some of which are even maybe in Chicago. Um, wanted to hear just your take on what it's been like to raise funding. I mean, you, you, found, a, you found customers. I mean, obviously that's a big part of it, but you know, before that, let's, let's rewind. Before you were on your, did you say Series C? Is that right? Yeah, we we just completed or in the process of completing our Series C. That's right. Correct. So so that's you've already proven what you've been able to do. So I think you know in some ways maybe that probably isn't, but in some ways it might it might have been easier to raise that round than the first round. So maybe talk us through that easier. process. No, it does, it does get easier. Yeah, it does get easier, right? Uh, so so share share with us that journey and what what that's been like for you all as you uh, continue to grow this company because I'd love to. Here's some of the things that maybe some tips for getting it out there and, and, and finding those customers, those investors. And Frank, that's like it's it's such a critical question and and uh, and and something that needs to be addressed for for entrepreneurs because a lot of entrepreneurs they don't spend enough time going out and you know capital raising right they're they're so focused on their product and and maybe that's because you know they have obviously have a passion for their product or maybe they don't want to put themselves out there and from the rejection i mean i think the good news with me is that i was a private banker right i built my business from scratch i'm used to being rejected i got rejected 99.9 percent .9 of the time because i built my business cold calling right so rejection wasn't uh, wasn't an issue for me and it's you know i always used to say it's not no it's just not right now 
Right. And so, right. you know, for us, we took a big focus on fundraising at, from the very beginning. And we're always focused on fundraising because a lot of these partners added considerable value to us. And so the way that we approached it was, you know, number one, and kind of taking a page out of Silicon Valley, which is now becoming, and we were kind of ahead of the time, but now becoming more popular here in Chicago, was, was doing it via convertible note. So we went out to strategic individuals and institutions for us, and we raised a convertible note. And a lot of people, especially in Chicago, and a lot of the entrepreneurs I, I, that I talk to, is they go out and they raise a Series A instantly. And don't do that, right? Because you don't know what your valuation is, right? No one does. You don't even have a product yet. You don't even have a customer yet. So how can you dictate what your valuation is? And you're kind of underselling yourself um, if you set a valuation too low. And so convertible note, I think, is a great medium between understanding what my valuation is in the future while giving your investors a really nice discount to your series a round and some interest that accumulates in shares. And so that's, that's what we did. Um, and, uh, and so we, we raised, you know, about a couple million bucks, you know, on our, our convertible note. And we've always been very scrappy and very frugal, you know, and, and that's really important for us because number one, we always wanted to protect our equity, but number two is, you know, cash is oxygen, right? And so you always want to be able to do like the little things first and fail fast um, and then be able to scale. And so, you know, for us, we, we started with the convertible note, which was the best decision that, that we could have made. And it was all kind of strategic. So we did the same thing through our series A and, and series B. We didn't take traditional Silicon Valley venture capital or Chicago venture capital um, just because they didn't really understand our business. So there's nothing against them, but capital markets is not exactly Silicon Valley's core competency outside of lending and payments and some of the retail. They're amazing at that, but like structured notes, most of them have never even heard of structured notes before. And so when you think about investors, right, stating the obvious is, you know, not every dollar is created equal, right? So there's a lot of capital out there. You know, you want to be choosy of who you allow as your investor because, one is A, they're on your cap table, B, they're usually on your board. So now they're your boss. And, and number three is that you want to make sure that it's a two-way street in regards to adding the value to your company. So we identified you know, partners for us who could add that value to us from a distribution side. And so that's what we did. And so we did that through our Series A. We did it through our Series B. You know, our largest investor in Series B was Allianz, provides the third world's largest financial institution, the world's largest insurance company. Yeah, and they provide a phenomenal guidance um, and, and distribution, but more importantly, their morals and values were aligned with us. And I cannot tell you how many horror stories that I have from entrepreneurs who took the attractive check at attractive valuation, but it wasn't an attractive investor, meaning that they did not align with your morals and values and it ended very badly. And so always take a discount in valuation, right? As I say, 100% of zero is zero. So don't worry so much about protecting your equity as much of getting the right partners and the right investors aligned um, within your business. And that paid off really, really well for us. And then, you know, in the Series C, um, you know, we, we, continue, we brought on more traditional Silicon Valley venture capital in addition to more strategic investors. And, and as I mentioned, uh, you know, it's not public yet, so I can't disclose the amount that we raised, but it, it will be one of the largest in Chicago history. Wow, so, congrats. That's Thank amazing. You. It's just honestly, and, and and I'm not trying to sit here and try to be, you know, fake humble, as I say, but it is really a testament to the team because never discount 
the people that, that, you know, work at the company and help deliver the value that you've got and never discount your investors. Like I could not get to the series C without my B and my A and my convertible note investors. They single-handedly brought me to where I am today. And, and I say that publicly all the time. And entrepreneurs get so focused around them, 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 and actually so don't do that. Focus on your investors because it is a partnership and they can add considerable value. That's great. That, that's super helpful. And it sounds like you really went the strategic route with those investors. You don't have to list them off, but it sounds like you had a bunch that were kind of understood your what you're trying to do. You know, and I think that's important. Instead of trying to convince people about this opportunity, you went to folks who might might actually get it first. Yeah, I mean, it's very natural, right? Is we had yeah. a solution that helped a lot of our strategic investors, right? So we were able to provide them a solution. Um, that value and benefited their own company. They saw the value in that. You know, one of our other public investors is a Chicago uh, investment bank and private bank called William Blair. It's it's one of the you know most premier investment bank private banks in the country. They were our they were our partner first, and then they said, "Gosh, I really value this. You know, we would love to invest in the company." And and again, the insight and the guidance that William Blair brought us was was in is invaluable. I mean, it was it was amazing, and so. You know, that's where it is a really two-way street. And we are blessed in a time right now where there's a lot of capital out there. And so again, be choosy about your investors because once you have an investor, it's very difficult, A, to get them off your cap table and B, get them off your board. So they are like your family. So make sure you trust them and they're aligned in your vision and the impact that you want to create and not just capital. That's great. And it leads to my kind of next question, which is really about overall vision. Where do you want to see this go? You know, like, is it, you know, most companies that raise a bunch of money, it's it's eventually a big exit or an IPO. I wanted to get hear from you. Like, where do you where do you see this going? Yeah, I mean, for us, and and uh, it's a question that we get asked a lot. I mean, again, we're we're focused on creating impact and executing. And so I, I always let the market dictate uh, what our market cap is, uh, and and that's up to the market, right? And and what our future is as as a company, um, you know, the, the good news is we're very well capitalized and we have a big vision. We have a big plan. Like I said, structured notes are our equivalent of Amazon's book. So we've already expanded into additional product lines, additional services, additional channels where we've expanded around the world. And we're in the very early stages of our product set and our opportunity and make a long story short, we're taking Halo all the way. So, you know, we are, uh, I would say, if, if you force me to give you an answer, I would say the most logical step in the next couple of years would be an IPO. Um, that's what we're focused on, but I will clearly focus on whatever maximizes shareholder value as that is ultimately my job. Um, but, you know, as, as a brand and as a company, as the impact, that's what we are focused on is, is really continuing to expand that impact around the world. And, and I will say, I mean, even I, I grew up in the days of Google and my family, you know, knows, uh, you know, a, a lot of the, the Google founders and, and a lot of the early Google team. And no one today would ever think that Google's, you know, would have gotten into flying cars. And in fact, like if Google would have talked to Benchmark and Sequoia and others at the beginning and say, hey, we're going to get into flying cars, they thought that they were crazy. Right. And but there's a sequence of events, right? They wanted to get more data. They wanted to be able to track you. So Google Maps was invented, which then they put into Uber. And if they're going to put into Uber, why don't they have their own autonomous vehicles? And if you're going to do that, you might as well make them flying. And voila, they have flying cars, right? There was a sequence of events. And that's where I see Halo ultimately going is there will be a Halo X. You know, we are here mm -hmm. to solve really big problems. It might not always be in you know, capital markets. And, and my guess would be in the next five years, we just won't be in financial services. Well, that's huge. You heard it here first, everyone. We are going to see some Halo 
space products. I don't know what the next flying car is going to be. I can't wait to see what comes out. We do out have some season. pretty far out ideas and, and that <laughs> actually is no joke. Uh, yep. And so, and, and again, it's all about solving impact. And, mm -hmm. uh, and so, that's great. yeah, that's, that's what every entrepreneur really needs to be focused on because that's what just keeps you motivated, right? Again, getting back to your early comment, Frank, is there's ups and there's downs. And so what keeps you through the grind is I'm doing something that's really important, right? Or as a famous Chicago architect said, you know, solve a problem that needs to be solved that only you can solve, right? And, and that's really the way that I view life. I love that. And I think there's something to be said for that motivation and keeping that, that spark going. So I, I really appreciate those words and that approach. So uh, we're, we're out at time here. We, this has been really fascinating. And I, I usually try to get more like uh, tips and tricks, but you kind of in, sprinkled them amongst your answers uh, there with those questions. So I think we're good there, but wanted to find out a little bit more about your, your um, what's your, you're working on right now. Is there anything we should be promoting here through this, this cast, anything coming out that folks might want to learn more about and, and obviously where to contact you and your company if they wanted to learn more. Yeah, thank you very much. And, you know, at the end of the day to all the listeners is one, I hope that this was helpful. And as a fellow entrepreneur, we're always here to help provide any advice and guidance that you may have. It is a tight knit community and we've all been in, in the seat before, but you know, the, the, really the, what I'd like the listeners to focus on is the importance of having protection in your portfolio, especially at a very critical time in the markets and a very critical time within your own retirement savings and goals. So you know, if, if this is of interest, talk to your financial advisor or contact us directly at haloinvesting.com um, and we can get your advisor set up and, and hopefully add a little bit of comfort to your life in regards to your investment portfolio. Excellent. Thank you so much, Jason. Really appreciate you joining us and sharing your, your insights, knowledge and journey here with your, your company, Halo Investing. Yeah, Frank, thank you so much. We really appreciate it. Thank you, Jason. We're excited about what you're up to with your company and what you've accomplished already and wish you nothing but success in the future. Thank you for joining us and sharing your time and your insights and knowledge with our community. Well, hope you enjoyed the episode and you're able to gather something interesting from the conversation. We really appreciate it. Once again, if you uh, haven't already and you know, didn't do it while we were listening, there's still an opportunity to join our community. You just go out to est.us forward slash join and there should be opportunities in the future for support, expert advice and resources, all a part of our startup community. So go do that now and we look forward to you know, offering those to you here soon. So thanks so much for, for listening. And uh, as always, if you have a startup idea and you want to get it started and get it going, today, today is the best day to start up, not tomorrow, not the next day. You can always think of another reason not to do it, but get it going, whittle away on it, get it going, keep iterating, and uh, you know, you'll be off to the races in no time. Until next time, I'm Frank Gruber signing off. Thanks again for listening. And uh, subscribe to our show and review it. We really appreciate all the feedback we can get as we continue to improve the show and, you know, include, include some of that feedback into it as well. And as always, stay safe out there and be well. Thank you again for listening. Thanks for listening to the Startup of the Year podcast. Be sure to subscribe and we'll be back with another episode soon.